welcome my rancid runts today we have some crazy shit to talk about it's all like metal and nuts and black and like there's bats everywhere we're gonna dig up the bones on these insane films some from the 80s and some more recent i'm rob Sercha. I'm Devin Shepard. And we are Cadaver Dogs. Unfortunately, Dave B. Jacobs couldn't be with us today. He's out, uh, I don't know, sniffing around some other dog bowls or something. But <laughs> to replace him, we have my good friend and work colleague, Chris Guzzo. How's it going, buddy? Hey, Rob. How's it going, man? Thank you both, Devin and Rob, for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. For any of you diehard fans, uh, Chris and I used to have our own podcast called Pod from the Crypt. Unfortunately, you know, life got in the way, but now we're here. We're reunited. And I'm really excited. Chris Guzzo actually has a teaser for a series called The Fourth Temptation. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, Rob. So The Fourth Temptation uh, is going to be an eight episode TV show. It's going to be horror thriller, and it's based on a book that was created by God to show people their true purpose in life. But then it was uh, cursed by the devil. So now people could only see their true desire. And uh, a lot of bad stuff happens to these different people when they <laughs> get a hold of this book. So I'm pretty excited about this, uh, this show. We're going to do this teaser in about a couple of months, try to raise some money to make a short film about it. So I'm very excited because uh, I think it's a great story. And thank you. Thank you for letting me plug it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. No, that's amazing. I oh, actually read uh, an early draft of the pilot, and yeah, there's some really fucked up shit in there. That is like, that's just kind of the signature of Guzman, if like you knew him. Yeah, I, I'm really dark in my head. I look like a nice guy, but inside, it's uh, it's really dark in there. So <laughs> I'm excited. Right on. So before we get started, please follow us on at Cadaver Dogs Pod at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, you can also send us an email at cadaverdogspodcast at gmail.com if you want to give us some sort of uh, recommendations for films to cover or whatnot. So for our first film, Devin Shepard is going to give us the synopsis. The teens of Mill Basin are angsty. Everything is so unfair. The parents treat them like kids and the town won't let their favorite heavy metal band, Black Roses, play a concert. They claim the band's Satan music. The parents hold a town hall where they debate if they should allow the band to play. The mayor comes in to question how this band and its fandom is any different than the parents' own fandom with the Beatles. That gets them, and they allow the band to play if they can come and monitor the show. But the band is much smarter. They come on stage dressed like frickin' George Michael or some saintly shit, and the parents give their blessing. They leave the show to continue. But the second the parents are out the door, all hell breaks loose, and it's a full-on rock show. After the concert, the teenagers have changed uh, and begin their murderous sexual ways. This is especially noticed by their English teacher, Mr. Morehouse, a man so dedicated to his students that he broke up with the love of his life to continue teaching. Fucking weirdo. Mr. Morehouse is <clears throat> hell-bent on saving these kids from becoming demonic murderous children. He must stop the music at all costs. This eventually ends with Mr. Morehouse barging in on the final Black Roses concert and setting the stage on fire. He watches the band burn as they change into their own original demonic selves, and all the children are saved. Thank you, Mr. Morehouse. Mm. So basically, Damien turns into a horny toad at the end. 
Damien, yeah, the, the yeah. lead singer, yeah. Of course his name is Damien. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, I like how he dresses up like a choir boy, like whenever he talks to Matthew, the English teacher. It's like, where'd his hair go? I thought he had long hair. He has so many different forms. Like at one point, he has no hair at all. He's just bald. The best form is definitely uh, the first scene of the movie when he's just a weird looking fucking uh, Jim Henson abomination. <laughs> oh, it's it's so good. And you never see it again. It's like uh, when they open and they're all in their full creature makeup. Yeah, right? they, they must have like ran that. out of costume or something. Uh, so I got a question for you guys. Uh, Chris, have you ever been obsessed with a band like a metal band or maybe a celebrity or something that to the point where it kind of like changed your ego? Maybe when you were younger, you wanted to like dress a certain way because the music you listen to or something. So I always, I love heavy metal. I love like Def Leppard and uh, like Judas Priest. I, I listen to it all the time. Even when I'm working out, people listen to the rap. I listen to that. I don't think it ever made me want to go out and, on a killing spree and kill my <laughs> students or teachers or my parents. But you know what's interesting? I actually, I found an article. I don't know if you guys like looked this up, but like, the in the 80s judas priest came out with an album and two kids uh listened to it and committed suicide one well one successfully committed suicide and the other one she, like i think he shot his face off and then like died a couple of years later and they tried to sue judas priest saying that it was satanic heavy metal that that caused it because they were listening to it it sounds very similar to like what happened with nirvana too right like the exact same thing happened with nirvana where i think the kid the first kid or the one that really like really stood out actually mentioned nirvana in his suicide note did but mm. did, did these kids mention why do they think it's judas priest did it was off the stained class album Mm. Um, and they were saying that uh, they were like hidden subliminal messages uh, that it, cla it claimed that they were uh, including <laughs> phrases like let's be dead and do it. It says let's be dead and do it, which he labeled an invasion of privacy. Mm. So I don't know. This happened in 1985, this whole mm. situation. So I, I'm curious if this movie Black Roses was kind of inspired by this situation. I mean, there were many of them during the 80s and like they you know they were saying that it, it caused a lot of violence in kids listening to them but i wonder if this particular uh article about judas priest actually you know inspired this movie mm -hmm. yeah i think a lot of things that were happening in the 80s inspired this movie i mean the the biggest thing i saw so when the parents are having their their town hall i think it's one of the teachers who actually is the woman from the creature from the black lagoon i saw that She's, that's awesome yeah that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> But she goes up and starts reciting or like reading lyrics and saying these are demonic lyrics. And I, that's exactly what happened in the trials from Tipper Gore's whole movement against uh, lyrics in music. Do you guys know about this? No, I never heard of this. No, no. So Tipper Gore, who is Al Gore's wife, started the PMRC in the 80s, which was Parent Music Resource Center, something like that. And it was essentially the same thing. It was like censorship for music. And eventually they brought it to to the Supreme Court and it led to the actual like parent advisory stickers that you now see mm. on CDs because they said these lyrics are too much for our children to handle. Mm -hmm. I was so devastated when I was like 12 years old and I couldn't buy a chord CD. Oh, yeah. Band yeah. yeah. Because yeah, they had the sticker corn. on it. Yeah, yeah. And then like I, I was all sad and then my aunt was like, what? I'll buy it for you. And she just went in and bought it for me. And I was like, oh, you're the best. 
The more and more we learn about Rob's family is just they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of. I, I don't know. When I was like 12 years old, I, I was like a little nerdy nerd. And I was like, listen, I, I, I don't want to be a nerd anymore. So I started wearing all black and just like listening to metal music. And I stopped brushing my hair. So my hair just kind of turned into like this like bird's nest thing. And I, would wear, I can like, see that. And I would wear like those fucking studded bracelets and shit. And I was just like this skinny oh little 12 year old. Yeah. Oh, you were 12? I feel like I my like 12, hardcore yeah. phase was like 16, 17, got really into 80s metal. Did you ever like sacrifice animals? I never did that. Not animals. <laughs> uh, yeah. no, not humans. Not. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> humans. It never hurt you nobody. Know, some babies. A few ex-boyfriends, yeah. Right. Oh, I wish. You know what this this movie reminded me of? It was like a satanic footloose. Like, yeah, especially oh the first thirty really minutes was. of it, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. townspeople were against this music, and they're like, "Come on, let them play." Only you know the ending was much different than uh, the footloose movie, and we didn't have Kevin Bacon dancing. So, yeah, it was interesting because this movie took the stance of like it's it's commentating on this, but um, they do in the end the music is actually demonic, and it does actually make the teenagers murder people and you know we do root for this teacher to stop the show and to save the kids the guy who looks like tom Selleck. So yeah, much. Yeah. Oh, that must <laughs> he's like knock off tom Selleck uh running around and uh, where do you get the dynamite at the end was that i don't know <laughs> he's that was, like, like, was it, it a flare or is that a piece of dynamite that he i don't he know grabbed? It looked like a stick of dynamite, but it exploded like a flare. And then it apparently did nothing to Damien. He just like danced. I, I, I was saying <laughs> yeah. the same thing I was watching. I was like, what? what is this? He, he just has this stick out of nowhere. He lights it and fire goes in front of Damien. But nothing really happens other than that. Right? Like, yeah. do they burn? I mean, obviously they don't burn down because then they go to New York to play more shows, which like classic ending there, you know, the show must continue and we must destroy the rest of the world. Not only that, it's Madison Square Garden. So it's just going to be like way worse than it was in this small town in the middle of nowhere. Which Mill Basin is in Brooklyn, but I don't, they filmed this in Canada. So I'm not sure if like this is supposed to be Brooklyn because I don't think it really... I've never been to Mill Basin though. Oh, I thought it was like a small town. It's in it Brooklyn. It definitely looked like a small town. Yeah. I don't yeah. I, it, I, yeah. It looked like like a critters setting type of town, you know, like that small, small town. I, I did get like serious critter vibes from this movie. Did you? I did uh, I, I did the same I felt yeah. the same way. I, I was yeah. like this eighties critters sci fi vibe, which wasn't supposed to be in the movie, but somehow it was there. Well, yeah, because I think like the puppeteering and stuff is kind of similar in the costumes, just right. like the aesthetically. I also like how big pussies in the movie. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's the best part of the movie. He yes, he's like ah, fungal, and then he gets eaten by a speaker. He's just like, what the fuck? Okay, yeah, he gets that's... sucked into it, right? Yeah, he gets yeah, sucked yeah. Into yeah. The speaker. Yeah. It was so cool, but it was so we were watching i was watching it with my boyfriend and we were like so confused because it's the first kill Mm -hmm. and it's the hand coming out of the speaker and we're like is this how like the music is legit killing him is this how all the other deaths are going to happen and then it never happens again it's just that one scene and he's only in it like he's not in any other scene he's just in that scene to die Mm -hmm. i wonder if he used that on his reel when he was like auditioning for sopranos Oh, definitely. Yeah. He, he, yeah. he probably he, he probably did that role for like three hundred dollars. If you if you got him in two thousand twenty two, that role would be like fifteen twenty thousand dollars. Definitely. 
And it's, it's I wonder if role. they even used him. They probably used. Do you, you think because it was so low budget, they actually sucked his leg through the speaker, or you think it was like a <laughs> a stuntman that that did it? Uh, I I bet you that was like a puppet that at the end was getting sucked through or something. Right. Had oh no, he did guy. it. He fully did, did it. You think it did? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, they they definitely had some sort of puppet budget because the puppets look pretty cool, especially when that chick at the end who's trying to come on to Matthew. She turns to that weird, like, long-necked thing. Right. Oh, my cool. God. Although when he killed her, it was super lame. But... Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was pretty lame. But I thought it was... No, I was just going to say, in that scene, um, when she's coming on to him, like, she's about to, like, go down on him, and he kind of flicks her away with his hand. And I just... I laughed at that point. I was like, what is this? Like, he, he he, the way he, he smacks her, <laughs> and then she turns into this this monster. Yeah, I was just curious about the uh, the monster effects, like with the puppets. Back to what you were saying in the beginning, like why did they never go back to the original makeup from the opening? Why was it a completely different monster or morph at the end? Like it went from you said he looked like a frog. I thought he looked like a dinosaur <laughs> at the end. Yeah. I thought we were watching Land of the Lost at the end yeah. of it, but I don't know the demon. The way he looked in the beginning was so good, and then they never went back to that again. I know. And I like story wise, I don't have an answer for you because they definitely should have brought that back. But when I was doing research on behind the scenes, I think it was a makeup thing that they just apparently that was a, a high point of tension for them that that makeup took a very, very okay. long time. And they just mm -hmm. didn't have the time that they wanted with it, unfortunately. Mm, right. But it's that so makes cool. A lot of sense. It is really cool. And uh, I also like the music a lot in this movie. Uh, they had a lot of great bands playing for them, like King Cobra and Tempest, and a lot of other, um, at the time, icons of metal just come in and do little small parts. It's it's an interesting film because it's like the heyday of Troma. Like, this is a Troma movie, and it's when Troma yeah. actually had like, some sort of integrity and their movies are watchable, <laughs> you know? Like, it still has that ridiculous trauma vibe of like, wow, people don't really <laughs> act like this in the real world, and it's silly and it's overacted, and you got a little kid a high school guy running around going he's gonna saying he's gonna paint the town bread um a high school guy that's played by a guy who literally looks like he's 30 oh yeah the funniest thing in the movie he looks so old he has he's actually, bags under he's his actually eyes. the actor is 27 years old while okay, he's, so essentially he's in this movie. but you're right yeah 30 <laughs> yeah. they all look so old they're like it's not i thought maybe it was college in the beginning and i was like no it's not it's, it's no. high school <laughs> Yeah, but you know, all those old movies are like that. You go back and you watch the original Carrie. It's like they're not. I know. Right. It's just it's just funny to especially this guy looks so tired like he's been up all night drinking, um <laughs> which I guess works for the teen role, but then he's like he like complains. He like whines like he's 13 years old. I'm mm -hmm. like this doesn't that doesn't compute. That doesn't work. So, I also noticed there was a lot of filler in this movie. Right. And some of it was just like boobs. Like there was a scene where uh, a girl is just, they obviously used a different actress because they didn't show her head and they had a picture of her head on the, uh, the mirror and she just pulls down her top and massages her breasts for like a minute straight. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Where's this going? And then she just puts it up and walks away. And that's the end of the scene. The Rob, whole scene is. Rob, I said the same thing last night. I was watching it with my girlfriend. I was like, this is the complete unnecessary boob scene yeah. in this film. And it goes nowhere. And frankly, I think films today need more of those kind of scenes where <laughs> there's no conflict. There's nothing. It's just boobs. It's yeah. just boobs. It's right. just boobs. We, we definitely don't have enough. 
Yeah, I do appreciate that scene, though, because she is masturbating. So you do get female masturbation, which is like not really something that you see a lot during this time, I feel. Mm. Right. Did you notice her her uh, hands in the movie? I don't know if they put makeup on it or it was just like an older actress, but I thought that they kind of looked older and maybe yes. possibly demonic. And I was like surprised that they didn't show the head mm. before that. You know, they just showed you from neck down, which was cool. But I, I was curious to see if like the hands were going to match what the face looked like. So that's just like the meme of the Kardashians hands I've been seeing going around. <laughs> Have you seen that? She's, she's, there's a meme of one of the Kardashians. She's sitting in her car and she has those fucking demon hands. And they like zoom in on it. They're like, what the hell's going on with their hands? Oh, it's like Paris Hilton's like thumb, her toe thumb. You remember she's that? She's a toe thumb? I don't know. Oh, no, that's Megan. Megan. What, what's her Fox? face from Jennifer's body? Yeah. She yeah, Megan Fox thumb. is a toe thumb? Oof. Yeah. Um. That was like an obsession that people had. I don't know. But no, I noticed that too, Chris. And I was like, because it's very obviously, like Rob said, it's very obviously a body double. And that, that bothered me because I, I noticed the hands. But then also, we do later get a shot of the actual actress's top. She's topless. And the nipples do not match. Right. <laughs> They're completely different colors. I'm like, you guys can try a little bit harder here. It's very, very, very obvious. Yeah. What was up with that? It's just like, because when we see her topless anyway... Maybe she yeah. was just like, was like, I'm not going to go top. So like, fine, I'll just get someone else. Probably. Or, yeah. yeah. Maybe they only had her for a couple of shooting days or like her contract was only one boob scene. And then mm. they needed to add another <laughs> one because the, the producers looked at it and said, not enough boobs. Yeah. Yeah. The whole movie really sexualizes teenagers in a way that like, yes, teenagers have sex. Like we're not ignoring that point. I think it's more of like their relationships with adults. Because like you guys were saying, the uh, now I forget her name, which I feel so bad, woman that we were talking about that does strip down and, and eventually like hits on her teacher. But they have that kind of relationship set up already. Like they spend a lot of special time together. She calls him her best friend and he definitely like thinks of her sexually, right? That's there. Uh, well, it was really weird when he just shows up to her parents' house right? to find her. Like what the fuck? I mean, I guess it's the 80s, so it was like the line between student-teacher relationship was less strict than it is now. So, like, sure, there but were it's still friendships. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I, maybe it's 80s or maybe it's earlier, but back in the day, it wasn't uncommon for a teacher to, like, take a kid to the fair or something. Like, if they're having trouble in school, like, oh. they were allowed to kind of have these types of, like, parental relationships, whereas, which sometimes were probably innocent but obviously a lot of times they weren't so now we're not allowed to have those anymore but okay, that's um, all yeah, fair right. and good it's definitely but... creepy in the movie yeah, I, have a, that... I have a question and this bothered me throughout the whole movie because this is the protagonist mr mustache over there <laughs> <laughs> why did he have a picture of him and his students on his wall oh. that creeped oh. me out like going I, I don't know if there was subtext about you know him having like an affair with his students there was no um, resolution with it, but there was a lot of like hidden Easter eggs throughout this movie. Like it was only an hour and 23 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was an 80s horror movie for fun. But I would like to see this movie actually be remade today with like those elements in it would, would be more interesting. You know, mm. if this guy who was the protagonist did have this kind of dark 
secret with his students that like is developed throughout the movie and like if you showed like more realistic relationships between the students and the parents and the student and the teacher and then have this bad evil like come into town and like kind of like stray them away Mm. i just think that it would be like a, a cool movie to watch today especially with the effects no, I agree. I think it would be cool. I wonder <laughs> if we can do a modern day remake, what would replace metal music? Like, would country. it be like... Um... Country. <laughs> it, would, it, would, it would be country or like uh, mumble rap, I guess. Or, uh, I, I mean, I guess there was a concert where kids got so wild and things got so crazy that a lot of people died. I forget mm. who was hosting that one. Astro oh, yeah, that, that just happened. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Where the people got trampled. So sad. Yeah. This, this teacher. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't really find him realistic in today's standards. Just his obsession with his kids. I mean, the the his girlfriend literally says you're too obsessed with your kid. Like you want to do good things and be a good teacher. And I just don't understand it. And she's just so vapid. I don't understand her character mm-hmm. at all. She gets mad at him for caring. <laughs> No, the the uh, the characters in this uh, movie were very one dimensional, two the two dimensional. It was a horror movie. Like I, I went when I went into this, I had no expectations, especially when when trauma came on the screen yeah. before it started. Did did you guys think that like it, had this movie been made a couple of years later when trauma was really like unapologetic with the way they made movies that it would have been a better movie with like that X rated graphic violence? That trauma, like the Toxic Avenger look. Mm. What this wasn't. When was Toxic Avenger made, though? In '85. I don't know if trauma actually. It said it was presented by it, so I don't know if they gave funding or because then they don't have their names at all afterwards. Yeah, it's like a Frankenhooker situation where they distributed it. I think. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think it's straight from trauma because we don't get that like class of Newcomb High Toxic Avenger thing. Right. Although we get like kind of like hints towards it. Right. So yeah, I, I actually almost think if it was made maybe like two years earlier by Troma themselves, it would have been really good. But if we go mm-hmm. like four or five years later by Troma, it would probably be awful because their, their movies just kind of weren't good anymore after a little while. Right. <laughs> this also, like it, it technically it was a big budget movie. I think it ended up being like almost a million dollars in American money. Really? I guess I should say US dollars. That is the currency. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was actually a pretty, pretty big budget, which is unfortunate because, like we were just saying, there were obvious, you know, effects on the special effects makeup and that we couldn't get the whole band for longer. Mm. So that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I still, uh, I, I enjoyed a lot of the silliness. Um, I think the movie's definitely silly, but I think it definitely is saying a, a lot and I think it, it is a lot deeper and yeah, the characters are one dimensional and like, yeah, it's kind of an obvious thread to pull on in 1988 when all this stuff with music is happening and you literally are like recreating it in your film space. But um, I thought what, what was really interesting was the hypocrisy that was pointed out throughout the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mayor says it in the beginning to the parents. He says what I said in my, my summary, which is, you know, you acted the same way when the Beatles came, everyone thought that was, sexual when elvis came and he shook his hips like everyone was like oh that's horrendous he's you know a sexual demon and now this is happening again with metal music so obviously the parents are hypocrites and they're like punishing the children for what it's interesting to bring up and to debate in a film space especially one that is as silly as black roses (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I like how it's just an unapologetic like satire, really over the top. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you really think it's devil music? Well, maybe it would be like this, where they all just turn to skeletons and frogs and whatnot. The ending is is bleak, right? It kind of has that invasion of the body snatches kind of ending because mm-hmm. like it, nothing is really settled. Like you know, they burn them, the kids come out, but who knows what happens? The parents are all still dead, right? Yeah. So we don't know what's going to happen to all the kids. And like the last shot is a television screen showing that they're going to play at Madison Square Garden. So mm-hmm. like you know, they prevailed. So evil prevailed at the end of this film. Yeah, I love that ending. Yeah. So this is a good place to pick up our second film. When a milkshake collides with a moving vehicle, smearing chocolatey froth all over the hood, three young women seek revenge. Well, not really. Meet Alexis, Val, and Beverly, three metalheads on their way to a concert in Indiana. The year is 1988 when metal bands still sang at higher octaves. Enjoying the show, they link up with Mark, Ivan, and Kovacs, a trio of band members enjoying their last show together as a group. After a quick powwow, the girls turn down the boys' invitation to chill in the van and instead venture to Beverly's parents' house. But strange things happen in the middle of Indiana, and the boys find themselves drug-bound and at knife point to three Jesus-crazy cult members. See, the girls were lying. They don't like metal or Satan. They like Jesus, and Jesus is their one and only. And killing these boys will bring them more people into their congregation, run by Beverly's father and original jackass himself, Johnny Knoxville. Believe me, it makes sense or something. Ivan is bled, a stepmother does coke, Val is terrible at opening doors, and Alexis has an upside-down leaf blower. Welcome to We Summon the Darkness, the 2019 horror thriller directed by Mark Myers and written by Alan Treza. <gasps> nice. Um, <laughs> so, what the fuck? There's so, many, there's so many twists in this movie, first of all, which I, I love and I appreciate. But mm-hmm. the end, can we talk about the end when the pastor comes home and goes to his daughter. You had him switch in, in the summary. It's Alexis is the daughter, and Beverly is the runaway or the um whatever oh, they call really? her. Yeah, no but he way. comes home, and you you find out that the pastor is in on it, and he kills Kovacs, and then goes to his daughter, and he tries to kill her, and then says, "You're gonna like take the blame for this, so that we can continue being the good people that we are." Does this make sense to you? Like, what is he? What is his plan? What is he trying to do here? Chris, do you want to answer that? I don't think it makes any sense at all. <laughs> I, I think that I enjoyed this movie for what it was. It was enjoyable because of the characters. I liked the three girls in it. But this movie was heavily, heavily flawed. There were so many plot holes in this movie and dumb decision makings. And I don't know if it was supposed to be because it was supposed to be partially comedy or not. But it didn't make any sense. I, Why would a pastor have his daughter commit murder in his own house made no sense to me and like everything that could go wrong and then not telling the mom and not having the mom in it i felt like it was plot convenience to just have it at this house so the pastor could come at the end and just have the third act play out but other than that like logically it made no sense i mean why wouldn't even if the pastor wanted his daughter to commit the murder to like further his congregation why wouldn't you do it in somebody else's house? Why wouldn't you do it somewhere else? Why would you do it in your own house where like all this stuff could go wrong? Mm. And everything does go wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it all, I think, went according to Johnny Knoxville's ridiculous plan. But his plan was that the FBI or whatever is looking at him for these murders and they suspect him. So for him to get the heat off it, but also vindicate their like evidence, 
was to just put all the blame on his daughter. Right. Well, but you that's got like to, dumb. <laughs> I, I, you got to understand, Johnny Knoxville just did Jackass Forever, mm-hmm. and the bull hit him, and he suffered a lot of brain damage after that. So <laughs> you got to give him an excuse for this logical plan that's played out in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, he also got punched in yeah. the face by Butterbean, who might be the hardest hitting boxer ever. I mean, that's a great Jesus name, Christ. Butterbean. How Butterbean? do you get? How do you get him on a movie like this? Like, what kind of deals do you gotta like mix and manage to get Johnny Knoxville to come play the evangelist in this film? It's such a weird casting choice, but I love it so much. It works for this movie. Yeah, I love him. I just, I don't know. He's just very charismatic. He's like one of those people that like. It's just star power. Like if I see Johnny yeah. Knoxville, like I, as soon as I saw it, I looked up this movie before I watched it. I was like, oh, Johnny Knoxville's in it. I got to watch this movie. And I wondered what kind of character he's going to play. And it made, you know, it was a good marketing gimmick to get me to watch it. Not Alexandra Daddario. I thought he looked pretty good as the pastor. <laughs> she was great too. She was, yeah. she was great. And like, I guess like that reverse role. People, I read reviews about this movie and like people didn't like her playing this, this bad girl, but mm-hmm. I loved it. I actually, that was my favorite dynamic was the dialogue between her and the other two girls was probably yeah. the strong point, the strong suit of this, this film. Yeah. This film, like if it got a couple of like more rewrites and like they kind of like got rid of the plot holes that are in it it could have been like a really strong scream type movie because that's what it was Mm -hmm. going for and then it just fell apart because all the stupid decisions yeah scream is a really good comp i I totally agree with you i loved the three characters the three female characters i love the three guy characters too actually but they were so much fun my favorite nuance in this film Mm -hmm. was having these i guess well two of them are very extremely religious slash brainwashed but showing these women that you know have a relationship with god and are religious but still are sexual and not have that like the killing is is a little contradictory to their belief system but i think like allowing them to be sexual and allowing that i I liked i liked that nuance i like that that take on it i love how religion though plays and it kind of shows how religion is evil you know what i mean how over time over years like what we've done for religion like we've killed and like you know Mm -hmm. that kind of cult mentality of like you think you're doing the right thing but you're really causing these these horrible acts Mm. especially tv evangelists right especially during this time it's funny because i was just have you guys did you guys watch that movie the eyes of tammy faye no no i never seen it it's not a horror film so i didn't expect you to okay (laughs) but um it's about these two evangelists tv evangelists um in actually around this time in the Mm -hmm. 80s who did essentially what the pastor is doing it's tammy and jim baker and and jim baker was the head of the the operation and Mm. would go on tv and basically ask people to donate money to the church and then use the the money to uh, pay for this extravagant lifestyle which we see happen in this film Mm. yeah that's pretty common there was also a cult leader who i think he still lives in mexico he was taking the donations of like clothes and just selling them and he made like a billion dollars doing that like, on clothes like clothing drops yeah like people would donate clothes in those clothing drops and he would like resell them instead of giving them away like you're supposed to and he just made insane amounts of money and he has like a cult yeah i think it kind of speaks to just like the overall kind of like hypocrisies in uh particularly christianity but religion as a whole you know like historically if we go back to like things like the inquisition or the crusades there are all these ideas that they're allowed to do all this evil but the end justifies the means 
Whereas how many actual satanic groups around were there? I mean, there were probably a handful, but most of them didn't like delve deep into American history and really cause a lot of havoc. I mean, unless you want to argue that Adolf Hitler's obsession with like occult stuff was kind of Satanism, which like my grandma did. But most people would argue that Nazis were more or less Christians, just really bad ones. So it's kind of funny to juxtapose this idea of like the hypocrisy of religious groups damning satanic groups, although there are very few of them, if any at all. And it's really the religious groups doing all the Satan type stuff, which is the bad things. Right, because I don't think that... I don't I, I think saying that there's a bunch of satanic groups out there doing things is playing into the satanic panic of the 80s. Like we still yeah. these people were kind of making this stuff up and blaming it on satanic groups, which like we don't even know if like there were satanic groups doing anything. But I think they show a little bit of this in the movie. What, who's the tall guy? Taylor Swift's brother. The guy who gets killed. Yeah, the first guy who gets killed. Oh, Ivan. Yeah. And this is her brother? Wow. Yeah. Taylor Swift's brother. Wow. <laughs> Crazy, right? He wears a pantogram and Alexis, uh, Alexander Daddario's character, goes up to him and says, you know, what is this for? What does this stand for to you? And he says, this is against people like you. And it's essentially like this idea that that actual, you know, modern day Satanists have, which is it's going against the church. It's like it's standing up against like this ultra conservative mm -hmm. lifestyle and it's it's not a religion it's not a church it's 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 a uh what is it called a rebellious middle finger kind of group you know yeah yeah they're, they're really just uh anti-establishment yeah Tarians kind of yeah which is it's so interesting because they're different than the actual church of satan which right. has been around since i think like the 70s or so really not that long but that's like the church that marilyn manson was a minister in and shit that's a different thing than the current satanist you're talking about that's a different yes. organization Yes, yeah. that's actually a. <laughs> yeah. They're they're. I mean, I don't know if they're like strict Satanists in like the traditional sense either, but uh, the group you're talking about are the ones who are like, hey, let's have a statue of Belfamit if you're allowed to have another religious statue. Like, why not? And they do things like that. It's kind of you know to point out the hypocrisies of the not quite clear distinction between church and state. Right, the Satanic Temple. That's that's what they are. Yeah, yeah, different than the Church of Satan. FYI. I have a question. Johnny Knoxville's character causes his, his daughter and the friends to commit this, this horrible act in the name of Satan and make it, you know, set it up. Wouldn't that hurt his church? Mm. Or would it would it work as like in the movie and people would be like, oh, I feel bad for this guy. I'm going to give more money to this church. I kind of question like what the whole logic is this entire film. Uh, well, I think I'm with Devin here and he's trying to play into the satanic panic and he's like, even my family's not safe. You all need to be aware. I think that's really his aim. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I guess so. It's definitely playing a ultimate I'm innocent card. I think if you have someone that close to you, no, because if you have someone that close to you, I feel like people have to question, especially during this time, <laughs> they question your parentship or your leadership. Like it's his own daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what did they say? Yeah, it, well, they should. But so like Jim Jones, for instance, people were like exalting him as this divine kind of leader. But the guy had was cheating on his wife. He had custody battles and all these other things. Like, we, we know throughout history that these people become larger in life, holier than thou, are able to get away with a lot of things 
to their devout followers because their devout followers have become fanatic. And, you know, it's this idea of like, do what I say, don't do what I do that a lot of leaders just kind of run away with. That's fair. I like that. Yeah. Because even the guy that I was talking about, Jim Baker, also Jim. Hmm. Weird. Uh, he, a lot of gyms, a lot of gym leaders. Don't trust Jim. He, um, he had a sexual relationship. I don't want to say sexual relationship. He, uh, raped the woman, but, um, that happened and went to court around, I think it was 85 to 87. Mm -hmm. So this movie takes place in 88. Um, so around this time too, where they started questioning leadership. Yeah. So why didn't the cop call for backup? Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, oh, been driving crazy, Rob. Why? Why? As soon as he got there, why didn't he call for backup? There's so many illogical things in this movie that, that drove me nuts. I mean, I get it. He's like eight feet tall. So he's like, oh, I just got to take oh. care of these little girls. But then he sees dead bodies everywhere. So it's the 80s. Like, do they not have a walkie on their person? Is it only in the car? I don't know. It did. I don't know. I guess so. In Indiana. I don't know. Like, maybe. Uh, it's the nuances. It's before cell phones. Although there are car phones, obviously, because the stepmother calls the cops from her car. Why didn't he have a partner with him? When oh, he yeah. But I think in a rural area, the cops are going to go out on their own. Um, even out, cops travel on their own sometimes. To 911 calls, they do. Even in Jersey. It, the kid at the end points the gun at Johnny Knoxville and hands over the gun to Johnny Knoxville and then questions who he was before asking. He should have asked him first before giving him the gun and then Johnny Knoxville shoots him. Yeah. Uh, another thing was the mother, she, the stepmom, she was stepmom or regular stepmom, mother? Yeah. She was regular stepmom. Stepmom. stepmom comes into the house and obviously the two guys had to hear somebody come in why wouldn't they scream for help? Yeah. Okay. That that last point, you're definitely spot on. The other two, I can hand wave with some really stupid movie logic. So, okay. All right. So he gave him the gun because he was losing blood and his brain was dying. Fair enough. You're not going to do things well. Uh, stepmother's all coked up. So she's just making bad decisions. What was really dumb, but I kind of like it, was how Johnny Knoxville was eating cookies when he came home. And you're like, dude, like shit's going down. Wouldn't you be nervous? And you're like, okay. He put I guess. his hand in the cookie jar. He yeah. stuck his hand in the cookie jar. What a great image there. I feel like this was just a bunch of like celebrities who are like, let's just make a movie together. Let's make a horror movie. I want to do it. That's why I like Amy Forsythe's oh, in no. it. Who's like, yeah, no, I think so. I like it. I think it's fun. But no, because I... the guy, the director, what else did he do? He did, he did, oh, he did My Friend Dahmer right. before this. Yeah. And, and this, I think, is loosely based on uh, some actual cult leaders of, of the time, probably, right? Satanic Panic or no? Well, no, I think it's based in theory. I don't think this actually, yeah. none of it actually happened. I think it, it very much plays against the fears of what was happening at the time. But it also plays against the fears of what's happening now. Like at that time, the public was scared that there were actually Satanist leaders killing people, hmm. which very unlikely did not happen. And now we're like scared that it's actually the religious leaders that are mm. doing these things. Uh, for me, it's really smart to take our modern lens and look at 1988 again. I mean, if we want to compare the two movies, the coolest thing is that this movie, We Summon the Darkness, takes place the same year that Black Roses was actually made. And they're kind of talking about the same thing. Yeah, I think they really are. And I think they both do a similar thing, how they flip the script. So like Black Roses is like, oh, you think this is how it really is? And then they do the satire thing to show a very exaggerated version of like the ridiculous thing they're showing. 
But then right. uh, this other movie, We Summon the Darkness, is like, well, actually, you were gaslighting satanic groups for your own crimes. Right. I, I agree with you. This this movie is a little bit opposite the other one because it kind of shows the innocence of satanic, like, I mean, not satanic, heavy metal, mm-hmm. that there's really nothing wrong. And they're using it as an excuse to gaslight so they can make more money in their congregation and kill these people. What a sick, I know. sick people, huh? Johnny Knoxville. How many hits to the head did he have to <laughs> formulate this plan? Yeah, yeah. Plot twist. This is actually, he was actually jackass going back in time to become the pastor. And that's why he had such a <laughs> He doesn't need to go back idea. in time. He's that old. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh yeah. So I was super disappointed that the three girls weren't actually metalheads. I was like, oh, three hot chick metalheads. It's like, oh no, that's a pipe dream. <laughs> All together. <laughs> it's like, if you ever go to like a metal show, there's like usually like one good looking girl like running around. No, I can tell. Obviously, Alexis didn't know what the hell she was talking about because she couldn't remember mm-hmm. her first concert. I can't tell if Val actually was a fan or just researched really well. And then Beverly, too. I think Beverly, I can't tell if she researched really well or actually knew the band. Mm-hmm. I think they were actually kind of fans. And then they like were recent converts or something. Uh, Val in particular. Alexis, as you pointed out, was definitely like paper thin. She didn't do her research. Yeah. Well, definitely the strongest suit of points of the movie are the acting and the character interactions as silly as they are i think uh the characters themselves are well written although they make bad decisions yeah. like val's hilarious every time she has to go pee oh my god she so has funny. to pee so much i love it i know yeah so like i think that is kind of like tarantino-esque how they take like this genre piece but then they're like hey let's write good dialogue in it and try to like beef it up to an A-quality movie, but then it had such a silly plot. It's like, all right, is it really that? A point of comparison I want to make is the lack thereof and the excess of their boobies in these movies. But they're, I mean, <laughs> should there have been, these are religious women, and despite what I was saying earlier, like, they're sexual, but I don't think they're going to just flash their tits around the house to strangers so so chris and i were theory crafting on this and we each came up with ideas of how they're going to show their boobs and still maintain their chastities her religious vows thank you for leaving me out of this conversation (laughs) (laughs) so i was thinking we could just go like the silly like horror movie trope where her shirt gets ripped and she has to run around the house but chris had some ideas well easily (laughs) you could have just had after the blood you could have just shown her in the shower washing the blood off one of them and you could have had a boob scene. Mm. You could have had Val, who wanted to have sex with one of them because she was promiscuous. That one makes and sense. And you could see her take her shirt off, but doesn't end up doing it. And it could give a little back story of like the way she was before she came to the congregation. Ooh, ooh. Oh, and Johnny Knoxville could have had a girl with him. Oh, God. Yeah. But I think in the spirit of the film, it would make actually more sense to have male nudity. Mm. Yes. Because it is it is a modern film. So I think, and it is, it is a feminist movie. I think they do very strong female characters that are very complex. It would make more sense to me if, I guess, one of the guys, there would be male nudity somewhere. Mm. Maybe his pants get ripped. Look, I love what we've come to. We've had so much female nudity for so long. It's time the penis has its day. Yeah, I'm all for nudity of both genders. Me too. So there should have been ball shots and boob shots of a plethora. They, the kid could have even done the, he wants some gum thing, and then he pulled his ball sack out. No, no. <laughs> Rob. There you go. No. <laughs> David, come back. <laughs> um. So definitely downer Debbie movies. You'd think that both of them being kind of like funny and silly and stuff, they wouldn't have such like downer endings. But we really don't have that much hope for anybody. 
Like the masses are just going to continue being duped and thinking they're satanic cults. Johnny Knoxville gets away scot-free and in Black Roses, the band is going to play Madison Square Garden and more or less bring on the apocalypse. Like the children of the corn are going to rise up and fucking kill everybody. Yeah. I think it's a good ending though that these both have because these issues are still happening. Mm -hmm. I keep bringing this up, but in Black Roses, you know, we're going to have that generational divide every generation like mm-hmm. there's going to be something that the next generation does that we don't see or like the conservative adult generation is going to see as you know not okay or quote satanic and we still have these issues with religion like and we some mm-hmm. of the darkness is saying like there there are still leaders out there and they're still doing bad things it, it it's you can't have a good ending because the world is not a good place <laughs> yeah it's kind of weird how both these films are so exaggerated yet I mean, I don't want to say have the realistic endings, but um, yeah, they don't they don't really pull punches at the end, which I appreciate. I like the crazy horror movie ending. Day. Okay, usually this is the part where Rob, you were gonna say that this is your favorite part, and we are gonna move on to bone reviews, but we actually are losing Chris, um, so we actually have to wrap up the recording and just say goodbye unfortunately however we will be posting our bone reviews on our social media pages so if you go over to our instagram at cadaver dogs pod or over to our twitter at cadaver dogs pod you'll be able to see how we rated these films one to four bones so uh, all right uh my rancid runts go back to your doggy bowls and i'm glad you enjoyed this episode till next time i'm the wrath of god i have to pee again Did that one work? Oh, God.